We are going to be talking about the parables this semester. And the reason that we're talking about the parables is, um, well, several reasons. Probably the main reason is because my, having worked with Belmont students now, this is probably my 14th or 15th year working with Belmont students, um, most people, particularly that come early on in the semester, come from some sort of church background. Um, most of the people at Belmont have had significant experience with the church. And um, one of the things that the parables are very helpful for is helping particularly religious people who've heard this stuff over and over again be kind of warmed upside the head by how astonishingly amazing the gospel really is. If the gospel, the idea that Jesus lived and died in the place of sinners, ever becomes ho-hum to us, the parables can help. And so, uh, I, even myself, I've been anxious to, to get back into the parables for my own soul. And I hope that you will find it helpful as well. Um, it, one of the things that we hope in RUF that you will learn is that you will learn how is it that mankind can be in a relationship with God. And then, how is it that we continue to grow as a Christian? And what does grace have to do with all of that stuff? And the parables are going to be a good way for us to get into some of those ideas. Um, the other reason we're doing the parables is because um, it's good to hear the words of Jesus. And it's good um, to be challenged by some of the weird stories that he told. Uh, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but most all of the parables have some detail that if you told them to a Middle Eastern peasant, they would either laugh or want to throw something at you. Um, so often, like people in the church have heard them um, often and maybe reduced them to little moralistic stories about what you need to do. They really aren't about that so much as they are about trying to help people see that the gospel is really astonishing. It really doesn't fit into normal categories. Even the story that we're going to look at tonight is one of these stories that if you were a Middle Eastern peasant, if you were somebody who heard Jesus tell this story, you would have said, that's kind of a crazy story. Nobody would do that. And in a lot of ways, I think that we need to be reminded of that. That the gospel ultimately is a story about something that nobody else would do. Something that nobody else could do. What we celebrate in Christianity is that God sent His Son, Jesus, to come and do something that nobody else would do and that nobody else could do. And the parables are preeminently about that. They're different ways of getting at what is it that Jesus did that changes everything. And that's what we're going to talk about as we look at these parables. So tonight... We're going to look at this idea uh, of fairness. I have three little kids, nine, seven, and five. You maybe saw some of the slideshow of my cute little kids. And they're sweet, wonderful little kids. But I tell you, one of the phrases that I really am kind of tired of hearing is, Not fair! Not fair. If you have kids, or you will have kids one day, or you work with kids, or you have brothers and sisters, and you remember, not fair is one of their favorite things to say. And it doesn't matter how carefully, I, I love to give my kids little treats. My wife, you know, probably frustrates her to death. But I love to give them little treats. I've hooked them all on white chocolate and all kinds of fancy candy that I love. Um, and, and there's just no way to split up a block of white chocolate perfectly. I've tried. You can't do it. And inevitably, if I try to hand them a piece... They don't look at the gift that I'm giving them. Instead, they look first at their brother or sister's piece. 
They don't, they don't look at the gift. They look at what somebody else is getting. And then inevitably cry, no fair. No fair. Uh, you know, my parents struggled with the same thing. One of the policies that my parents adopted um, when I was little, as long as I can remember, is they decided they would spend exactly, down to the penny, exactly the same amount of money on each of their three kids for Christmas. And even sometimes my mom would give us like the difference in cash. You know, if it was like, you know, $3 and two cents and she couldn't find something, then she would give us the difference in cash to make it exactly equal. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter how often they explained that to us. When we walked downstairs on Christmas Day, all that mattered was who has more boxes to unwrap and who has the biggest box to unwrap. And of course, the problem with that, me being the oldest, is, you know, four-year-olds get all kinds of big boxes and they don't cost very much. You know, but 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, they get relatively few things because they all cost more, right? The same thing with my kids, right? That, you know, on Christmas Day, they'll kind of look at, you know, here it is. And, you know, one kid's going to get maybe a, you know, a Nintendo DS, and that's about all he's going to get. But somebody else is going to get like 10 things because, you know, our little girl's like five. And so, you know, you can get a bunch of, you know, cool stuff for not very much money for little kids. But it doesn't matter, you know, no matter how much you try to explain them, we spend the exact same money, no fair. See, the problem, the problem is this. So often, our sense of what is owed to us, our sense of what is owed to us and what is fair, clouds our ability to see the gift that we've been given. And that's what Jesus is dealing with in this parable. There are people who are so concerned with fairness that they can't look at the gift that they themselves have been given. So let's look at this story. It's in Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 1. If you have that paper, you can just follow along. Jesus said this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, or literally the Greek says, whatever is just, I will give to you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, means the last people that were hired, up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, those, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he, the master, replied to them, to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker 
as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the first, sorry, so the last will be first and the first last. Pray with me, if you will. Lord, I do thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us to understand what Jesus is getting at here. How is the kingdom like this master? Lord, teach us and help us to know more about you and your love and your ways by our study tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what you need to understand is this parable, like most of the parables that Jesus tells, were shocking in some area. There's something shocking to the people that Jesus tells this parable to. Now this one, in some ways, is easy in the sense that every one of us reads this and says, okay, who would do it that way? That's kind of a strange thing. No wonder that you can sympathize with these workers that work all day long and they get a denarius. And and it almost seems like, you know, like the master is sort of, you know, okay, he catches them on a technicality. You know, you agreed to work for denarius, but you can understand why they're upset that the people that are hired at the end of the day and only work one stinking hour get paid the exact same as the people who worked all day long. That just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. So, you know, what is going on here? Is the, is the owner playing favorites? And how is that like the kingdom of God? If you start to think very long about this parable, you begin to get disturbed when you think, how is this representing God? I thought God was fair. I thought that was one of the most bedrock important principles, that God is fair. And yet here, here he's charged with being unfair if the owner represents God, and most people think that it does. So what are, what are we to understand about this story? Well, I think the first thing to ask is, why does the vineyard owner keep going back to the marketplace to hire more people over and over and over again. Now, what you will need to understand about the setting is there was a place in the marketplace in any village in the Middle East in Jesus' day, and it still actually is that way. It even goes on in our culture. I live near Nolensville Road, and so you can go to the Mapco by my house in the morning, and you can find people that are there waiting to work, and they tend to get picked up by trucks that go by, um, need people for a day work, and they take them, and they go work, right? Um, it's the same way in this town. There was a certain place where people who were unemployed could go and stand and wait. And if somebody needed somebody to work for the day, they would go by there, and the people would all vie for the attention of the person who had a job, and they would get hired, right? So that's what's going on here. But when you think about this vineyard owner, it's like, okay, you might can understand him miscalculating how many workers he needs, maybe once, okay? Maybe he goes first thing in the morning, and he underestimates how many workers he really needs. But that doesn't really seem to make sense five times. And it doesn't really seem to make sense that if he needs more workers, why does he wait until the 11th hour and then pay them the same that he paid everybody else? Why does the vineyard owner go back again and again and again? And Bible scholars have wrestled with this question. There's various answers that they propose, but I think the only one that really makes sense is the vineyard owner has compassion for these unemployed workers. You, th- you think about it this way. Um, there's a guy named Kenneth Bailey who's a, 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 just a wonderful scholar who's written a lot of things 
um, on Middle Eastern cultural expectations and norms. He actually has taught his whole career in the Middle East, um, teaching at Arabic seminaries, and he reads ancient Syriac and all these kinds of things. And most of his career, he's basically told the parables to Middle Eastern peasants who still live like they did in Jesus' day to gauge kind of their reaction and to sort of see what is it that bothers them about these stories. And it's also very interesting kinds of things. And one of the things that he, he points out is that, you know, waiting in this place where you're hoping to get a job is a very humiliating thing. It's a humiliating thing to stand there. And, and as the day goes on, it's more and more depressing to be there and know that in all likelihood you're going to have to go back to your family and confess to them that you are unable to find work, that you're unable to bring back any money or anything to take care of the family. But here's what goes on. See, by midday when it seems that all hope is lost, because in these villages what Kenneth Bailey says is everybody goes home by noon. Everybody goes home by noon. They're not going to get hired if they're not hired by halfway through the day. Who's going to come along and hire them at that point? But here, the owner comes back again and again and again. And the parable says that he sees men standing idle. And what Bailey proposes, what I think he's exactly right about, is that he goes first and he hires some men. Then he goes back again to see if some of those other men have been able to find work. And when he sees that they haven't, he hires some more. And then he goes back again to see if some of these men who are still left there have been able to find work with someone else. And again, there's people there, so he hires some more. And he hires some more. And then even in the 11th hour, he goes back and he hires people who can really contribute next to nothing. By the time they're going to get from the marketplace to the field, it's only one hour before the end of the day. He doesn't go to them and hire these workers because he needs them. Because they're contributing much to his um, prosperity. No. Out of his own resources, he blesses them and cares for them because of his compassion and his mercy. And I think that's so important to understand about the character of God. It is, the character of God is this. He's like this vineyard owner. He doesn't... He doesn't call people to be part of his kingdom because he sees, wow, this person is going to be such a great contribution to my team. Man, if I could just get her on my side, man, that would be awesome. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't care and doesn't want you to be part of his team. But what I'm saying is his compassion is what drives him. Not looking at you and seeing, oh, if only I could get that person, then I would have all that I need. God does not need any of us. In, in, in a lot of ways, we're all like these people hired at the 11th hour. We don't really have much to contribute. Certainly not enough to pay for what Jesus had to pay for us to be part of the kingdom. For us to be part of the kingdom, for us to be brought into the kingdom, required the Son of God to be tortured to death. And I don't know about you, but even in my most bold, um, arrogant times, I, I don't really think that I deserve that, or that my contribution to God's kingdom really equals the death of the Son of God. We are like these 11th hour workers. And I, I will tell you this, I believe that you will never understand, and I will never understand, how astonishing God's grace really is until we see that it comes to us, not because of what we can pay back, 
but because of God's deep compassion and mercy. And you know what's interesting as he goes through here, you see um, as well that he doesn't tell anybody except the first group. He, he argues, agrees with them to pay them a denarius. A denarius is the living wage that you would pay a worker for one day's work. But the other people, he never tells them what he's going to pay them. So he, he seems to be somebody that's trusted and known, or they wouldn't go with him. But at, you know, at, at, the last, at the last, he doesn't even... He doesn't even agree to pay them what's just. He just says, go to my vineyard. And they go. But what's, here's what you need to understand. Those guys that get hired at the very end of the day, why is it that they haven't left? It's because they've progressively seen the vineyard owner demonstrate his compassion. They saw it at the third hour of the day. They saw it again at the sixth hour of the day. They saw it again at the ninth hour of the day. And so they're standing. You notice they're standing. Standing means they're ready. They're looking for him to come again because he's demonstrated what his character is like. Coming into the kingdom of God is always a response to the character of God and his revelation of who he is and what he's like. I mean, it really is amazing that any of these workers stay at the market to the end of the day, to the 11th hour. That's crazy. Anybody hearing this story would say nobody would do that. Why do these guys stay and do that? Because the vineyard owner does something that nobody would do. Comes back again and again and again to hire people that most likely he doesn't even really need. It's amazing. So, you know, don't forget that the gospel is the supreme revelation of who God is. It's the supreme revelation of his mercy, of his love, of his power, of his compassion, of his wisdom, of his knowledge. And everything that God has revealed in the gospel gives us reason to trust Him. Um, the, the, as you get into this story, though, there really are three shocking twists to this little story. And that's where I want to go next. The first shock is in verse... Mm, yes, verse 8. Look at this. When evening came... The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages. Foreman. Now that's the first time the foreman makes an appearance. And, and here's what you need to understand. If the owner of the vineyard has a foreman, why is he himself going to the market five times in the day? Why is he himself enduring this hot, dusty trip back to the market? over and over and over again. You see, Middle Eastern landowners, particularly in Jesus' day, were gentlemen farmers. They didn't go out in the fields and work the fields if they owned the land. They hired an estate manager, translated here as a foreman, and the foreman did all that. The foreman is the guy who should be going to the market. And you know, when you start the story, you may feel like, well, there's probably not a foreman. But in verse 8, you're like, wait, there's a foreman? Why is the vineyard owner going to the market if there's a foreman? So that would have been the first thing that would have shocked everybody there. Um, and I think what's going on here is Jesus is teaching a very important lesson. Compassionate mercy is best delivered in person. The vineyard owner can't send the, the foreman because he wants to demonstrate his compassionate mercy to these people. If you think his purpose is just to get some work done... Well, it doesn't matter who he sends. But if his real purpose is to reveal his character and his compassion and his mercy and to care for these people, it's not enough to just send a messenger. 
It's not enough just to send some money. He has to go. And he has to demonstrate his care for them. And that he's willing to pay a cost that really doesn't make any sense. Because he cares for them. Right? God, of course, you know, the ultimate example of this idea that compassionate mercy is best delivered in person is Jesus. It's what he comes to do. To show us that God does not stay distant from us, but he comes in the person of Jesus to deliver compassionate mercy in person. Jesus loves his people up close. Isn't that good news? But there's a second shock. And it's this. Um, the, the owner orders the manager, the foreman, to pay all their workers. Now, the, the English translations obscure this. It doesn't say their wages. What it actually says in the Greek is the wage, singular. And what that means is every one of them gets paid the standard wage. One denarius. Now, you find as the story unfolds, that's exactly what happens, right? The wage. They all get paid the wage. And anybody that hears this story would be like, wait a second. Wait a second. Why would you pay people more than you have to? Everybody would have been fine with him paying one denarius to the workers that worked all day. He paid them the standard rate. They worked it out. They discussed it. It was agreeable to everybody. But then he pays the same wage to people that he didn't have to pay it to. And what he says about this wage that he pays them is that it's right. This is just. But nobody hearing the story would have thought this is just and this is right. He's done something he doesn't have to do. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of insane. But nonetheless, he does it. But that isn't shocking enough. There's a third shock. And it's this. The owner deliberately reverses the order in which the people will be paid. Deliberately reverses the order. You see, if he had paid the full day workers first, you know what would have happened? They would have got their money, the money that was agreed upon, they would have left, everything would have been fine. They never would have been offended. The owner deliberately wants to offend them. He wants to upset them. I don't know what you think about Jesus, but you don't have to read very far in the Gospels to find out that he picks fights with people all the time. He offends people all the time. He goes out of his way to do it. And that's what's going on here. The vineyard owner deliberately pays these people in a way so that as he pays first the 11 hour, 11th hour workers a full denarius, you know, everybody's like, what? And then he pays the next group a full denarius. Now at this point, maybe people are beginning to think, uh, man, I wonder what he's going to pay the full day workers. But as he continues to pay one denarius to every group, by the time he gets to the full day workers, they're seething, furious. Well, he better not pay us one denarius. But he does. And they get, they get riled, don't they? they? They start yelling at him. What are you doing? What do you mean? The vineyard owner wants them to be offended by grace. He wants them to stumble over his compassionate mercy. Bailey captures the point well. He says this, Equal pay for equal work is a centuries-old understanding of justice. But that is not the issue here. This parable presents the overpaid. Nobody's underpaid here. 
The story focuses on an equation filled with amazing grace, which is resented by those who feel that they've earned their way to more. The complaint is from the justly paid who cannot tolerate grace. You've made them equal to us, they angrily shout. Just like the older son, who's so furious that the prodigal gets a fatted calf for his return. Right? Now, a lot of people wonder, you know, who, who is this, who, who are the, who's this parable told to? And I think at one level, it's certainly told to the Pharisees, but at another level, it's told to the disciples, who may be wondering, you know, because it's, it's actually pretty close to this in the Gospel, where some of the disciples begin to argue over who is greatest, and who's going to sit in the places of honor. And after all, we've been with Jesus from the beginning, so of course we deserve... Special preference, special privileges, special perks. I think this is a parable that isn't just told to those kind of bad guys. It's told to people who are part of the kingdom to say, look, inside this kingdom, things are turned upside down. The owner pays these workers in reverse to intentionally make the point that the first hired and the last hired get the same wage and the owner wants everybody to know it. Right? And if, they, if he didn't do this, you see, the, the first hired would never understand how big his mercy really is. It's important that they understand that the vineyard owner is merciful and compassionate, not just that he's just. So how does the master respond to their complaints? Well, first he doesn't use the word friend. I know that the NIV translates that. It's a hard word to translate, but it basically means... It's a word you would use, it's a polite word, but it's a word you would use for somebody that you don't know, for a stranger. But it's interesting, the Arabic translations, and you know, there were lots of you know, centuries of Arabic Christians and translations into Arabic before Islam you know, came on the scene. And um, Bailey reads all that stuff, so he always brings out these points. The Arabic translation always use a, a word that means, you who are doing the shouting. <laughs> hey, you who are shouting at me, listen. Let's, let's, let, you need to understand something. The master says this, I am free to do what I want with what is mine. And if I choose to pay these men what I want, that is no concern of yours. Now, this is important, guys, for you to understand about the gospel. God is under no compulsion to save anybody. And until you get that, until I get that, it, it's going to be really hard for me to understand how astonishing the gospel is. If you feel like you're somebody who deserved God's grace and God's mercy, well, heaven help you. Right? And, you know, often it's the people who have been in Christian settings the longest who grow to feel that. And that's why Jesus is saying in this parable, listen, I can do what I want with what is mine. Salvation is a gift. It's never a wage. It's never a wage. It's never payment for something that you do uh, or will do. And I think that if you, if you don't understand that, when life gets difficult, here's what will happen. When life doesn't turn out as you've hoped, if you think or you have this sort of this shred of thinking that, that God owes you, that you've made such a wonderful contribution to His team, here's what happens. If your life gets difficult, you'll either hate God because you feel like he's not really giving you what you deserve, 
for what a great person you were and all the sacrifices you made. So you either hate God or you'll hate yourself. Because you'll feel like, if only I had done the right stuff, if only I had been better at this, if only I had been more disciplined, if only I would avoided this temptation, then I would have gotten what I want. But God is holding out on me because I failed to measure up. So you're either mad at God because you feel He's not paid you what you deserve, or you feel mad at yourself because you feel like you haven't measured up and therefore things haven't turned out like you wanted. So if there's any sense, any sort of vestige of thinking in your mind that the way I relate to God is based upon the fact that He pays me because I'm such a good person, that He loves me not because of His grace but because of what I've done or what I haven't done, it ends up having devastating effects in times of trial. It's really important to understand that. And here's, you know, here's is bringing this to a close. The master has every right to say, now it doesn't record this, all right? There's a little bit of speculation. But the master has every right to say to these people, do you think that you're the only ones who bore the heat of the day? Because notice, again, it's subtle, but it's there in the parable. The master should have been the one who was taking a siesta in the heat of the day. Instead, he's going back back to the marketplace again and again and again. What he, what, he's, what he can say to these people is, look, why are you grumbling about bearing the heat of the day? You weren't the only one who bore the heat of the day. I bore the heat of the day as well. You expect to be richer at the end of the day. But I am poorer. I took my riches and I gave them to people that didn't deserve them because they didn't earn it. You want to be richer. You complain that you're not richer. But I bore the heat of the day as well to make myself poorer. And see, then the story just stops. Several of the parables do this. They stop. And you never hear what the full day workers do next. We don't know. Do they quit arguing and say, you're right, praise you, you're such a compassionate person. Wow, I'm glad that I even know you. Or do they continue to argue with him and grumble? And it's one of these things, um, you know, parables almost build like a little house for you to live in and sort of find your place. And this one asks you to say, am I like those full day workers who basically is feeling like I've got a raw deal? And, and do I need to look at what the vineyard owner has borne? The cost that his love has required him to pay? Am I like these last day, full day workers? See, ultimately this parable is about Jesus and His costly love. Jesus is describing His own ministry in this parable. Right? Again, like I told you, landowners in the Middle East do not go to the marketplace. They do not go there again and again and again. They do not get involved in this sort of stuff. They're aloof. They've got people they can hire to do that. But this landowner, this vineyard owner, takes on the heat of the day. Jesus, you see, is God incarnate, whose compassion leads him to come to the poor who can't earn anything. And he makes them rich by giving them all that he has, even unto death on a cross. Jesus is describing his own ministry. And I love the way um, Kenneth Bailey puts this. In this parable, you see Bethlehem and Jerusalem joined together. You see a picture of the incarnation. That Jesus, God in the person of Jesus, comes close. 
gives compassionate mercy in person, but he also pays out of his own riches what is required. And so you have incarnation and atonement brought together in this parable. He's the vineyard owner who comes in person, but he's also the vineyard owner who makes himself poor that we could be rich and gives his compassion to those who can't earn it. Jesus, in other words, is saying that your place in the kingdom, if you have a place in the kingdom, is all about grace. And that the same gracious grace is given to those who trust in Him from the beginning or those who trust in Him at the very end of their life. Because everybody gets one denarius. And I hope that if you stick around RUF, you'll understand how important it is to understand what does it mean to be righteous in God's sight and how that's different from just merely being forgiven. These people here all get a wage. They all get something they didn't deserve. And it makes them all equal in standing. And that is exactly what the gospel does. It doesn't just pay your debt. It gives you, it gives you something. This amazing gift. This righteousness that we all need. And, um, you know, the only one who ever earned God's favor, you see, was Jesus. And he gave it. Up, The only one who ever had a right to say to God, pay me what you owe me, was Jesus. But that's not what he said. As he hung on a cross, he said, Father, forgive them. Take, take the forgiveness that you're going to, 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 to get from what I'm doing now. Give it to them. Give it to them. Let's pray together.